is going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. I see you really emphasize the H there. Yeah, you know, a lot of people think my name is Keith. Uh, Some (laughs) people call me Teeth as a joke. Whatever you want to call me, I am one of your hosts, and Daphne is our other host. And Hannah is the one who recommended today's case, so thank you so much, Hannah. Yes, thank you, Hannah. It has sat on our list for quite a while, so thank you so much for your patience. And if anybody else wants to recommend a case, I'm a little behind on emails right now, so sorry if I haven't gotten back to you yet. But um, if you email us, goingwestpodcast at gmail.com, that is the best way to recommend a case We'll put it on the list and hopefully cover it as soon as possible. But we have hundreds of cases on our list right now. It's very long. Yes, please bear with us. And thank you for tuning in today. Also, if you want to support the show in another way, you can check out our Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com slash going west. We've got a bunch of bonus episodes. And guess what? They are ad free. So sorry, but it's slash going west podcast. Oh, my bad. Slash going west podcast. (laughs) Check it out. And uh, we're going to release two new episodes this month. One of them is going to be Halloween related and the other is just going to happen around that time. So um, tune in. All right, guys, this is episode 244 of Going West. So let's get into it. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In October of 2007, a 22-year-old tennis player was supposed to meet up with a friend before heading to a party, but he never showed up. After leaving strange voicemails for his parents and telling his sister that important people were after him, he vanished. Even though his car and backpack were soon found, they only brought more questions than answers. This is the story of Charlie Allen Jr., also known as Neo Babson Maximus. Charles Malcolm Allen Jr., who went by Charlie, was born on April 26, 1985 in Haverhill, Massachusetts, a town about an hour north of Boston that sits right on the border of Massachusetts and New Hampshire. 
Charlie was born to Anne and Charles Allen Sr. and was the middle of three children, joining an older brother named Brendan. And then 15 months after Charlie was born, he was joined by a younger sister named Brittany. And they were so close in age that she remembers that they were almost like twins and the two were just very close. The whole family was tight-knit though and they loved spending time together. Charlie's mom, Anne, remembers that he would tell her everything, even sometimes, quote, things I didn't want to know, which she said with a laugh. <laughs> that sounds like me. I tell my mom everything, even things she probably doesn't want to know. You really do, but we love that. We love the closeness. Oh, yeah. I love to tell on myself. Nothing but honesty. So the family had a vacation home in Gloucester, Massachusetts, which is an idyllic beachside community just north of Manchester by the sea. The Allens always looked forward to spending time together and with extended family during their summers there. A true Massachusetts boy, Charlie rooted for both the Boston Red Sox and the New England Patriots, and he was described by his family as charming, happy-go-lucky, and always the life of the party. In high school, Charlie was a gifted student, a member of the National Honor Society, and according to his dad, got really good grades without having to try too hard. Charlie was very social and had lots of friends who were always over at the Allens' home. In high school, he became very devoted to video gaming and was one of the top-ranked online gamers, especially in Half-Life. Have you played that? I have not played it, but I've, I've heard a lot about it. So some background on the game for anyone who's not familiar. Half-Life debuted in 1998 and is what's called a first-person shooter. So I'm, I play a lot of those games. I, I know, play, that's why I I play you. Apex. If anybody's listening and plays Apex, hit me up. <laughs> um, so the players step into the role of a scientist working in a research lab invaded by aliens and must help him escape. The game has multiple expansion packs as well as sequels, and at the time, Charlie was considered one of the best players in the world, even traveling to Texas to compete in a tournament. He gamed under the pseudonym Neo, also known as the main character in The Matrix, portrayed by Keanu Reeves. After graduating with honors from Haverhill High School in 2003, Charlie chose to attend the University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth, also known as UMass Dartmouth, about an hour and a half south of Haverhill. Charlie majored in psychology and was considering attending medical school after undergrad to become a psychiatrist. And in 2007, 22-year-old Charlie was entering his senior year of college and seemed to be thoroughly enjoying his time there. He tried out for the university's tennis team and he made it. And while he was still an avid gamer, he quote, ate, slept, and breathed tennis. Charlie was a fast learner and devoted everything he had to training and improving his skills. And on Thursday, October 11th, 2007, he was planning on meeting his dad for lunch, but wound up telling him that he, quote, didn't feel up to it, so they talked on the phone instead. His dad remembers, quote, He was talking a little odd, but not to the point where I was overly concerned. At 2 p.m., Charlie and a tennis friend named Mason met up on the courts to play a game together. And Charlie seemed to look up to Mason and was kind of following in his footsteps because Mason had trained at tennis camps in Florida and Charlie told his friend that he was considering doing the same thing, kind of wanting to see how far his tennis skills could take him. 
That night, Charlie had been invited to a party by a member of the girls' tennis team and asked Mason to come with him. And Charlie was apparently very excited to mingle and flirt with the girls, so this was a party he was very much looking forward to attending. The two had dinner at the campus cafeteria together and then went their separate ways to get ready for the party and then they were just going to meet up right after that. And they had plans to meet up at 8.30 p.m. that evening back on campus to head over to the party together. So Charlie headed home to his apartment in New Bedford, just outside of Dartmouth, to get ready. Meanwhile, Brittany, his sister, who was at college in Rhode Island, noticed that Charlie had deleted his Facebook account that very day. And she remembers that they had been talking on Facebook earlier and she knew that she had a message of his that she had not responded to. But when she went online to do so, you know, to their conversation, she discovered that his whole profile was gone. So thoroughly confused, Brittany called him to ask him about it. But Charlie was alarmed, claiming that he did not, in fact, delete it and became paranoid that someone had deleted it for him. Brittany remembered, quote, All of a sudden, he got really scared, and then he just started panicking. He was talking really fast, just in a panic. There are people after him, and he's not safe, and I'm not safe. Charlie said, You have to leave school right now. You have to go home and stay with Dad. Dad's the only one who can protect you. There are really important people after me. I've sent some emails and I'm not safe. He concluded by saying, quote, All the answers are in the periodic table of elements before hanging up. And what a scary conversation to have with your brother who you're so close with. Remember, like I said, they were like twins almost and they were incredibly, incredibly close. And just to hear these things of your brothers telling or your brother telling you that you're not safe and that dad is the only one that can keep you safe and he's still not giving you details on who is the unsafe person, why you're not safe and what the hell is going on. Yeah. I don't know what I would do if my sister called me and started saying things similar to this. Oh my God, me either. So Brittany called her dad crying, scared for her brother's well-being, but her dad already knew that there was something wrong. He and his wife, Anne had both gotten voicemails from Charlie where it sounded like he was running out of breath and agitated. Charlie apparently told them both that he was thinking of fleeing and going south to Mexico, Texas, or Florida. In the call to his mom, he said that he needed to be loved more and that he felt isolated. But when she called him back, his phone was off, going straight to voicemail. And how hard, as his mom, getting these voicemails that make no sense and not being able to contact him ever again after that. Yeah, so scary as a parent. Meanwhile, back at the UMass Dartmouth campus, Mason was waiting for Charlie at the campus parking lot where they planned on meeting up, but Mason hadn't heard from him and his calls went unanswered. So he waited almost 45 minutes before heading back home, assuming that Charlie had forgotten that they were meeting. It was a chilly fall evening and it seemed as if Charlie had just run off into the night. Charles and Ann reported the situation to the Dartmouth police and waited hoping that this was a minor setback and that they would hear from Charlie, but they never did. Three days later, on Sunday, October 14th, 2007, someone contacted police after finding a suspicious object in their backyard, a backpack. 
After searching the bag, the responding officer found a notebook with Charlie's name printed inside. When he contacted campus police, he was alerted that Charlie had been reported missing, and this had been his school backpack, by the way. So search dogs were deployed to the area and came up with nothing, but campus police did locate his car. His 1999 blue Ford Expedition had been parked in a campus parking lot with a makeshift bed set up in the back, as well as a blanket and a pillow covering the back seat. And it looked to police as if he had been staying in his car, potentially because he was afraid of, you know, whoever was after him and maybe that person would check his apartment. So that's why he was staying in his car. It was very unclear, but obviously if he had a makeshift bed in it, it was for sleeping. Yeah, you know? he was definitely staying in his car. But obviously this is really alarming to have found his backpack and his car because when somebody goes missing and you find their car, that's always really scary because you know that they didn't drive off and go somewhere. Obviously there are other modes of transportation. He could have taken a bus or a taxi or whatever to go anywhere, but your car is like your place. That is how you get around Yeah, if you have one. So very, very concerning that they found this. So while this was seemingly the worst it had been, Charlie did have a bit of history of manic behavior. So when Charlie was in high school, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and he normally managed it well with medication and therapy, but there were times when he would suffer from manic episodes. His father, Charles, remembers that the high highs that he would experience were usually just characterized by him talking a lot and very quickly. So that was kind of the quote unquote worst that it would get usually. And his sister, Brittany, said that it didn't slow him down at all and that Charlie was smarter and more coherent than most people that she knew. But he wasn't very open about his mental health struggles. He didn't want the stigma that is often unfortunately attached to them. But most of his close friends and family knew, and they were very supportive of him. Charles, who was Charles, or Charlie's dad, Charles, shared with police that Charlie had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and had suffered the occasional manic depressive episode that sometimes came with erratic behavior. And this changed the course of the investigation because police came to believe that his disappearance was simply the result of an episode. If Charlie hadn't been taking his medication, it was understandable that he'd been having a paranoid episode. But Charlie claimed that he didn't like how the medication made him feel. He told Brittany that it left him numb, not happy or sad, just devoid of emotion, and that he didn't feel like himself. In the summer of 2007, so a few months before his disappearance, Charlie ceased taking his medication altogether. He tried to sub out physical activity and exercise for his medication, and was reportedly feeling like himself again, but it came at a high cost, when it may have ultimately led to his disappearance. So aside from the fact that he had stopped taking his medication, there were some indications that Charlie was struggling leading up to his death. One friend said that he had adopted a very strange sleeping pattern of taking short naps throughout the day and night, but never more than a few hours at a time. His mom and sister remember him jumping out of a moving car after they all left a tennis match in Rhode Island together, because Charlie apparently was not ready to leave and he hid in some nearby bushes to avoid them. Anne and Brittany were of course very frightened and rattled by this occurrence, but when they finally were able to coax him back into the car, Charlie remained angry that they had left. Mason, again who is his tennis friend, 
also remembered something very strange. When they had eaten dinner together that night that they were supposed to attend the party, Charlie had taken a slice of pizza off of Mason's plate and eaten it. When Mason laughed and asked why he had done that, Charlie said that he thought it was his. They shrugged it off, but Mason found it very odd and out of character for Charlie, who was usually so put together. Another indication was the huge change Charlie had undergone just two months prior. He had legally changed his name. He kept it pretty quiet, but in August of 2007, so two months before he went missing, he had changed his first name to Neo, which was his gaming name, again, after The Matrix. And he changed his middle name to Babson, which is his mother's maiden name. And his last name became Maximus, who is the royal general portrayed by Russell Crowe in the movie Gladiator. And he had a well thought out explanation for it though, and it didn't make it seem as if it was like an impulsive decision. So he told his sister Brittany that his reasoning behind it was wanting to kind of set himself apart in the tennis world. Like he thought that he could get farther and stand out more with a unique name, which I think makes a lot of sense. Sure. And he was selective with whom he told though. He, he wasn't sharing it with anybody and even Mason didn't know this. But even though like we mentioned he wanted to go to medical school. He was interested in potentially becoming a psychiatrist. He also was very interested in tennis and was was interested in potentially just pursuing that professionally as well. So, you know, hence the name change. But as police attempted to kind of connect the dots here, one officer shared another potential sighting that he thought may be linked to Charlie. In the early morning hours of October 13th, around 3 a.m., a local woman named Jean Boudreau had reported a man breaking into her second story window without a shirt on. Now, when she woke up, alarmed, obviously, the man apparently said, quote, sorry, ma'am, I was just leaving and claimed that he was looking for his friend Mason and had just gone to the wrong house by accident. Jean remembered, quote, he was actually very polite. The odd thing about this, though, is that Charlie knew exactly where Mason lived, and it was nowhere near where Jean lived, if this was him after all. So Charlie, apparently, then scrambled down the outside of the house and ran off into the surrounding woods. And that was the last sighting of Charlie Allen Jr., also known as Neo Babson Maximus. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medications that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. 
Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment, no maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volix XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Looking to save on delivery? DashPass is your door to $0 delivery fees and more on DoorDash. And right now, using code GOINGWEST24, you can get 50% off up to $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, terms apply. Daphne and I use DoorDash constantly to order lunch or dinner or even groceries. And that's why we love using our DashPass, because it's the most affordable way to get anything in your area delivered right to your door. I mean, come on. DashPass pays for itself in two orders on average, making delivery even more worth it. And that's why we use it so often. And it also gives you special access to exclusive promotions and member-only menu items, all for just $9.99 a month. Get more from delivery for less. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash. Use code GOINGWEST24 to get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Police were certain that this odd break-in had been Charlie but that hadn't answered any questions. In fact, it only created more. Why had he broken into a woman's home over 30 minutes away from Mason's apartment? What had he been doing for the past six hours since he went AWOL on his family? And what had happened to his shirt? The family kept hoping that Charlie would get in touch and that he was just taking some time away somewhere. 
His friends and family papered the area with missing posters and conducted searches of the woods surrounding Dartmouth, where his school was, and New Bedford, where his apartment was located. And police came upon Charlie's tennis shoes, abandoned not far from Jean Boudreaux's house, confirming that he was in fact the intruder on the night of October 13th. So this is very strange because obviously um, there's something going on, it, it appears mentally with Charlie or Neo, if you will. Um, and it's strange that there's kind of these things that are being found here and there, the backpack, the shoes, and then the car being found all in separate places. Yeah, very so strange. Very good point. Because how did he get to Gene's house even? You know what I mean? With it being 30-ish minutes away, how did he get there and where did he go after that? Yeah, it's just all very strange here. So this meant that he was now barefoot and shirtless in just a pair of running pants that night. However, if he had been in a manic state at the time, he may have been safer than he would have been, you know, if he was in the right state of mind. The Dartmouth police chief at the time explained that he would have been surviving on adrenaline alone, and that that may have been what kept him warm and energized longer than if he had not been in a manic state. Another potential sighting emerged, though, but was never confirmed to undoubtedly be Charlie. A man named Jim Costa claims that he saw a shirtless, disheveled man matching Charlie's description walking toward a truck at an intersection near Dartmouth's campus, also near US Route 6, which is a major transcontinental thoroughfare. It's possible that Charlie could have been hitching a ride out of town with someone, or even that he was abducted. But the sighting remains unconfirmed, because Jim couldn't remember if it was the Saturday immediately after Charlie had gone missing, which again was October 13th, or the Saturday over a week later, October 20th. But either way, Jim feels confident that it was Charlie. So if it was, it opens up a plethora of new possibilities as to where he could be. Charlie had been gone for over a week at this point, and his dad said his family were all struggling to function, and of course they were in unimaginable pain, just crying all day and not really able to eat or sleep. Police searched via helicopter in the dense wooded area of Dartmouth around Gene's house and still found no sign of him. They also searched Charlie's laptop, but curiously, most of the information had been wiped, like his browsing history and his sent mailbox in his email, eliminating any hope of finding the emails that Charlie had supposedly sent to the important people. And this is really interesting to me because the fact that he had cleared his history, he deleted his sent emails, we know that he believed that somebody was after him, whether or not somebody actually was remains unclear but so much so that he deleted any trace of whatever he was doing on the internet, which is a little spooky. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely scary considering that, like you said, he, he does think that people are after him, but he's also, it's not like he's incapable of thinking properly in a way in which he can't like get out of town. So he's thinking, oh, these people are after me, but I gotta get out of here or whatever. Like, it's not like he's incapable of of leaving but that's what's so concerning is the fact that they found his backpack they found his shoes they found his car and he is just nowhere to be found so either way he's missing 
And one of the only remnants of Charlie that they did find find that they did find Sorry, yeah. that they did find was a web page that was still left open on his laptop. And this was the last website that he visited, which was the University of Texas. Interesting. Yeah. So his parents also found this interesting because as we know, he had left voicemails on both of their phones, both of his parents' phones. And he said that he was considering moving south, but calls to the university just searching under both of his names turned up no sign of him and we know that he was a senior i mean it was only october so he still had many months to go uh for this year but it doesn't seem like it would make very much sense to transfer to a different college in the middle of your senior year i don't know maybe people do that but um he was not enrolled and it didn't seem like he was even applying to this college so you know, why was he on that webpage? Who knows? Yeah, maybe he was just looking into it before his disappearance. True. So they also checked area hospitals, hostels, hotels, and homeless shelters, and no one had seen or heard from him. On October 27th, 2007, so a couple weeks after he went missing, investigators suspended the search due to lack of evidence. And of course, this devastated Charlie's family, but once police found out that Charlie suffered from bipolar disorder, they started to kind of write this whole thing off as an elective disappearance brought on by someone who was simply struggling with their mental health. But his sister Brittany protested this by saying, quote, people would say to me, you know, maybe he just doesn't want to be found. Maybe he just wanted to go off like that. And I'm like, you don't know him. He would never want to do that. He was going to go to medical school. He wanted to be a doctor. He was so happy where he was at the time with what he was doing and he had goals for the future. He loved his apartment, loved his classes. He loved playing tennis. And then all of a sudden it's all gone. I'm so glad she said that because I think it's so easy for all of us to kind of sit here and point fingers or come up with scenarios that we think are true when we really don't know anything. I mean, we don't know Charlie. We don't know what he was like when he was in these manic states. And his sister is saying, I know him very well. This is not like him. And he did not want to run away from his life. So obviously something could have developed mentally in him that his family didn't even know about that he didn't even know about. But I love that she is saying this and saying he wouldn't just go off willingly, especially for all this time. I mean, think about it. It's 2022 now, you know? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, there was actually one more possible sighting of Charlie before the leads started to dry up. So a Dartmouth man reported an unkempt man showing up on his doorstep asking for assistance. But when the men went to call the police and returned to the person on the front porch, this person was then gone. And sightings are so difficult because we know from other cases that we've covered where a person was missing and, you know, like tips came in from across the country claiming to see them. But then it turned out that they'd been deceased since the time they disappeared. So was this Charlie? And also, I should say, Charlie isn't terribly plain looking, but he also doesn't have a very distinct look. So although this could have been him, it's impossible to know for sure. But everybody should go look at his missing poster, please. Yeah, and the family established a Facebook group called Help Find Neo Babson Maximus, a.k.a. Charles Allen Jr., which now has over 8,000 active members. There are posts from all over the world, India, Iraq, Poland, Italy, Canada, asking questions, posing theories, and just hoping for answers. 
One member shared a picture of a man in Tijuana, Mexico, who said that he was American and needed assistance getting home. And although the name and the hometown that he gave are different, the man does bear a passing resemblance to Charlie. And we will post that photo on our socials as well for you guys to check out. To me, the only real similarities is they're both white and brunette. Um, but the guy in the photo has a bit longer hair and a beard. And I know hair and beard changes can make people look so different. So it's definitely possible, especially yeah. if this man is houseless and, you know, he can't cut his hair. That makes sense. Yeah, you should see me without a beard. Yeah. I look like a naked mole rat. <laughs> you do. I seriously no offense, do. but you do. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure I put weight on this one. Have you seen this photo? No, no. I'll show it to you. Yeah, it's, let's take a look at it. Um, I'll, let me pull it up right now. It has been pulled up. What do you think? Yeah, so I'd say, you know, the, the photo from Tijuana, Mexico, it's very blurry. So it's really hard to see the facial the facial features like that well. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Sorry. Let me. Um, It's because, it, you know, when you Google and it comes up as a Facebook post, then you have to click on the face. Here it is. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I can see. Better it. quality. Just, yeah, I mean, still, it's it's a little bit better quality. Not great. Not great, but um, I, f I still feel like there are certain features that look different. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, it's kind of hard to determine. I mean, it I think could this, be him. I think this was from, um, I think it was from, 20, oh, yeah, 2020, September of 2020. So um, I'm sure his family would have been able to confirm whether or not it was him, even from these photos, because, you know, if this was, like, your sister you would know whether or not it was her no sure, matter what. Sure, And I'm sure that the family has definitely seen that, of course, yeah. because that was on the Facebook page. So. Yeah, and that's what I mean, too. Like, it's it's probably not him. I think if, if they believed it was, there would we would know more about that side of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's kind of like when we... Do you remember when we had talked about the Briceless Pizza case? Yes, and there I was, was thinking about that with this case. Yeah, yeah, and there was somebody that posted a picture of a homeless man sitting outside of a store, and yeah. everybody was like, oh, my God, that's got to be him. Mm -hmm. But then that was never confirmed. Confirmed. I don't know if it went anywhere. Well, then his his mom was like, "That's not him." Yeah. So it's like yeah. you know your you know your loved one, and it's easy for us to say, "Oh, that looks like him" because he has red hair, right? Or we're talking sure. about um, Bryceless Pizza. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think with this, it's just it was awesome that somebody posted that, but it doesn't seem like that was him. So let's talk about what other kind of developments have come about in recent years. So on January 3rd, 2021, a partial human skull washed ashore on Little Beach, located on Horseneck Road in Westport, Massachusetts, only about 20 minutes away from UMass Dartmouth. The responding detective remarked, quote, It was the top of a skull protruding out of the sand and rocks near the high tide line, and it was found by a beachcomber. Now, apparently it was a, quote, sizable piece of a skull that appeared to have been in the water for a while. The medical examiner even said that they, quote, could not rule out something like a shipwreck from the past century. So that is a big pool of possibility. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of crazy that they said it could have been a shipwreck from from that long ago. I, I know. Mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a stretch. So... Further inspection of the bone ruled that it was a young adult male, and detectives believe that it had washed up and did not belong to a body that had been buried at the beach. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 
91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Locals speculated that it may have been a fisherman who had been swept away at sea or a body that had been buried at sea, simply decomposing and washing up. But it wasn't long before it was linked to the possibility of it being Charlie. However, frustratingly, the remains were never positively identified and could not be confirmed or denied to be Charlie. But could there be an answer in the last thing that he said to his sister? I mean, Charlie's cryptic comment that all the answers could be found in the periodic table could mean nothing, or it could be a very elaborate hint. Some members on the Facebook group speculate that his new name could be a clue in itself. For instance, the initials of all three of his new names are present in the periodic table. NE for NEO is the abbreviation for the gas neon. BA is the abbreviation for the metal barium. And then there are two elements that start with M, the mineral magnesium and the mineral molybdenum. What this means, we're not sure, and neither is his family, but it is an interesting possibility. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that he was talking about the periodic table in the first place is very, very strange. I mean, like you said, this could be just talk because he was in a manic state and didn't really know what he was saying, um, or like he was connecting dots that weren't there, or it could actually mean something. Um, so it's very interesting that people are looking into this. Yeah, I mean, it might as well, you know? So another theory that emerged is that Charlie had gotten involved in Scientology and then potentially spoken out against it and that officials at the church were the important people who were coming after him. What's strange is that Charlie actually did become interested in Scientology after studying it in one of his psychology classes in school, and potentially even stopped taking his medication due in part to the influence of Scientology's stance on psychology. One of Scientology's key pillars is eschewing the principles of psychiatry. The church apparently views psychiatry as evil and manipulative, and that no one is without the inherent tools to help themselves without the need for the aid of mental health experts or medicine. This was exacerbated by the creator of Scientology's own struggles with mental health. The founder of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard, was known to be erratic, violent, and abusive. And in 1951, he kidnapped his own infant daughter and fled to Cuba with her, telling his wife Sarah that he had chopped up their baby daughter and sprinkled her in a river. Sarah, who was desperate to get her daughter back and keep her safe, consulted with doctors who recommended that L. Ron Hubbard undergo serious psychological evaluation and treatment. A newspaper printed, quote, doctors concluded that Hubbard was hopelessly insane and crazy, and that there was no hope for Hubbard or any reason for him to endure further. That competent medical advisors recommended that Hubbard be committed to a private sanatorium for psychiatric observation and treatment for a mental ailment known as paranoid schizophrenia. L. Ron Hubbard's condition was very treatable, but he refused help, maligning the entire practice of psychology and psychiatry, and even likening it to the practice of communism, which in the 1950s was a pretty serious accusation. 
Of course, L. Ron Hubbard did go on to create the multi-billion dollar monolith that is the Church of Scientology before he died in 1986. And the Church of Scientology is known for very strict retaliation against those who speak against it or join but ignore its core principles. In 1995, a woman died at the church's Clearwater, Florida base after begging for psychiatric treatment and being denied. Lisa McPherson was a 36-year-old member of the church who had been struggling with her mental health. After being involved in a minor fender bender while being assessed by paramedics, she removed all her clothes, prompting the EMS workers to believe that she had sustained a concussion. But when she was brought in for further evaluation, she told officials at the hospital that she had taken off her clothes on purpose in order to be brought in for psychiatric treatment. And at this point, the church intervened and took her under their own care. And less than a month later, she was dead. Ultimately, she died of heart failure, exacerbated by inactivity and severe dehydration. But her autopsy also revealed bruises and cuts all over her body, a cut on her nose and cockroach bites. She had been unresponsive for 24 hours when her caretakers finally sought help. And all that to say, if Scientology wants to shut someone up, they can, and Charlie would be no exception. But I know a lot of people are probably like, okay, this is a stretch because we don't even know if he was interested in it. I mean, we know that he was in a way, like he was looking into it as part of his class and his curriculum, but um, did he join the church? Did he go against yeah. it? We don't know. Yeah, we're not sure if he was actually in communication with members of the church or if their practices were just an interest of his. But could Charlie's disappearance have something to do with his newfound fascination with Scientology and rejection of his traditional treatment methods? Or could it be something more nefarious? We may never know. One friend said that this all makes sense if you take into account how smart Charlie is. If anyone could go off the grid without a trace, it was him. But again, why would he want to? He was so on track in his life. And for anybody out there saying we don't really know, we don't really know. But according to his family, he was very happy. He was excited to go to the party that night. You know, he was excited to see what was going to happen with his tennis career. He had just changed his name for his tennis career. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it seemed, obviously, we said that he was in a very tight-knit family. He was close with his dad and his mom. And his sister. And his brother. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely concerning there. So Charlie's wallet and cell phone have never been found, but his father keeps his bank account open and cell phone service connected just in case. Two days after he disappeared, his phone apparently turned back on because calls were once again ringing instead of going straight to voicemail. But the phone company was never able to explain this or track his whereabouts. So the day after Christmas in 2011, and posted on the Facebook group for Charlie, quote, Thank you for your love and support. I know my son is still alive, because I think I would have felt something if he had died. Sadly, in June of this year, the family lost Anne after a battle with colon cancer, still waiting for answers to where her son is. And I know cases like this where mental illness is a factor can be really difficult, but at the end of the day, something happened to Charlie. Like he is either alive out there somewhere or he is deceased. And either way, his family doesn't have 
the answers that they need. And it's hard for us, again, to speculate if a manic episode could have played a part in this since we're not psychologists, but I think the fact that his family isn't leaning too heavily on that being the case is important. And how they pointed out that they usually would have given or been given a lot more warnings if he was entering a manic state even though there were some very weird things that were going on right before. But also, he had never gone AWOL like this, and it didn't match his normal symptoms. So it's, of course, possible that something else was going on in Charlie's brain that had different signs and would have led him to run off. But your guess is as good as ours. So was someone actually after him? Again, either way, he's missing. This actually really reminds me of a case that we covered do you remember the case of the guy who thought that um, people were after him uh, and he fled from Canada? Was it, uh, what was his oh, name? Oh, Blair um, Adams. Yes. yes. People actually compare Blair's case to Charlie's. No, that's, I mean, I could see why. Yeah. For sure. They do have some similarities. Very bizarre. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say, like you're saying, it, was there actually people after Charlie or not? Right. But also, you know, we have to remember that his car was in a campus parking lot. So it just makes you wonder how he got anywhere if he did leave the area. Where is he and where has he been all this time? Yeah. I mean, usually people can, you know, we can track bank accounts or other things like that. And usually in disappearances like this, unfortunately, bank accounts are never used again or phones never turn on again, and the, and the service is never used again. And it appears that this is what's going on with Charlie. Right. So Charlie Allen Jr., also known as Neo Babson Maximus, has light brown hair and brown eyes. He's between 5 foot 11 and 6 feet tall and weighs between 175 pounds and 190 pounds. But of course, all this is relevant to when he actually went missing. He wore glasses and his hair was closely cropped at the time of his disappearance, and he was last seen wearing black sweatpants with a red stripe down the side, a long-sleeved white shirt with 2007 U.S. Open printed on the front, and running shoes. If you have any information regarding his disappearance, please contact the Dartmouth Police at 508-997-9900. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And on Tuesday, we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. Don't forget to share this episode. Check out Charlie's photos or Neo's photos and his uh, missing poster. We posted it all over our socials so you guys can reshare if you would like. Please share his story because, like I said, at the end of the day, whether foul play was involved or not, he is still missing and his family is looking for him constantly. Yeah, you know, this is really hard because I feel like a lot of these disappearances happened like in the mid to early 2000s, somewhere around there, where technology was not as advanced as it is now with, you know, like Find My Friend apps and stuff like that. So it is very, very hard. And now it's been, what has it been? Like uh, 15, oh, not 15, 15 years. Yeah, yeah, 15 years. Almost, I mean, exactly 15 years. So, you know, like Daphne said, please share the missing persons uh, photos and also make sure that you share this episode because you never know 
if somebody out there has information or has or has seen Charlie. Absolutely. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, we love having you here. And if you're looking for more Heath and Daphne content, we have another podcast called The Dark Parts that we just launched last week. We have, it's like a paranormal urban legends. We just released a new episode called The Rake yesterday. And it's such a fun and spooky episode. So please go check it out. It's everywhere you listen to podcasts. And thank you in advance. All right, guys. So for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.